Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, brought to you by Preborn, saving babies and souls, and Wilson Financial Advisors, over 50 years of financial expertise and success. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on their logos for more information or to donate. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. And welcome back to another edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with most of the guys, our first one for 2024, uh, with Neil, myself, and uh, John, and Bob Duco uh, on the the injured list this week. But Bob will be back with us again next week. Guys, uh, welcome back to the program and happy 2024. Happy, happy New, New Year, Year guys. Did we all have a fun, besides the fact that John goes to his private island in Hawaii every year? <laughs> how, how, Neil, how was your, you know, just kind of staycation for 2024? We'll get to John in just a second. It was great. A lot of family time around Christmas. The problem was by New Year's, everybody was sick. I don't know what's going around, mm. but yeah, we we had hoped to get together on New Year's Eve. Didn't really happen. By the way, that's my wife and my daughter's birthday. So it oh, wow. didn't happen. But otherwise, we had a great holiday. Appreciate okay, you John. asking. Sure, John. How about yours? I mean, don't don't rub yeah. it in. Don't rub it. That in. was good. We you know, we typically uh, go away. I know that sounds odd, but we typically take a little vacation because it's a downtime for me work wise. Whether it be you know the show, the coaching, you know most clients sure. are doing other things. It's just that time of the year where it's very down, and so for me business wise, it's just a good time to get away. I've done that now for several years in a row and it's always nice. Somehow avoid it, even though traveling, we saw a lot of people that were ill. So I can understand why Bob is ill today. We yeah. saw a lot of people that were ill and and in turn, uh, I so far so good. So I'm counting my blessings. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I think quite frankly, I have, I have a theory as to why Bob's on the DL this week. And it's because well, one of two things, either because the Michigan Wolverines won on New Year's Day and the Rose Bowl and they're going to the national championship game, or what in the name of Greg Landry is going on with the Detroit Lions, right? I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's a first time in what, 78 years they've been in the playoffs. Maybe it's not that much, but uh, uh, Neil, Neil, what do you, what are your take on the Lions success and how far do you think they're going to go in the playoffs this year i guess anything is possible with god maybe the lord's involved in this i'm not sure <laughs> yeah do you, realize, do you realize that their coach dan i believe his name's dan campbell he was on the lions when they were 0 and 16 mm. and and now he's coaching a team that is going not only to the playoffs but who knows they may go beyond and like go all the way to the super bowl they've never yeah. been to the super bowl of course but th- they would be even better they might be vying for like home field advantage or something Incredible. if uh if there hadn't been that horrible call by an nfl referee saying that one of their linemen hadn't reported in properly, and therefore their two-point conversion against the Dallas Cowboys was nullified. So who knows? But it's pretty exciting, actually, to see the Lions doing well for once. Well, yeah, it is exciting, and it kind of dovetails nicely into what we're going to talk about this week here on the National Crawford Ground Temple podcast, because the issue of right and wrong and uh, justice and, and, and the way it's served in society, the fact that so many people were so upset about that call and about that play, and you have to wonder, I'm sure there's some you know, folks in Vegas and Atlantic City who are feeling otherwise. But, you know, everybody has that sense of right and wrong. Everyone has a sense mm-hmm. of justice. I mean, we all have that uh, God's natural laws written onto the hearts of everyone he creates, and that is every person who's ever lived. And yet what we see what's happening in the culture right now is we see this changing of the virtues in American society. I came across an op-ed over the weekend, Mike Rowe, you know, the dirty jobs guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, wrote a piece for Fox News, and he was talking about the fact that the virtue of hard work was pretty much gone. 
Mm. And it, it really got me thinking about mm. the things that we're seeing in the culture and the, the fact that, you know, we've had the scandal with the major universities and the plagiarism and, and, and the fact that, uh, you know, now all of a sudden progressives are looking at the national debt and saying, hmm, this is, th- this is potentially problematic. And, and then you've got Generation Z just kind of giving up on things that we looked at before. John, uh, t- let's get into this conversation about virtue, just kind of overall general theme before we get into some of the specifics of the story. What is your, st- you're a businessman, you're a yeah. dad, grandpa. I mean, you see this from a lot of different angles. I do. What is your, what is your take on what's happening virtue wise in the culture right now? Yeah, no. And, and it's funny you say that, uh, Roger. I mean, I help, you know, business clients of mine that I coach, <clears throat> you know, we're constantly looking to hire, you know, Individuals, good, solid, you know, hardworking individuals. And there's times, guys, where just finding someone that will, I hate to say this, but just show up and fog the mirror. I mean, just getting people to come to work. I I heard from several different clients yesterday, day after New Year's, of course, heard from several different clients that, you know, so-and-so didn't show up today. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of illness going around. So let's give the benefit of the doubt. Is it, you know, brown bottle flu or are they really sick? So, you know, you need to ask a few questions. But my point is, We've entered into a day and age to where the first thing you think is, well, they're just not sick. They're just hanging out because they party too hard on New Year's because that's the culture we now live in and the work environment that we have. Yeah, it's really crazy, Neil. And I know with your pastoral experience, too, it hits you on a couple different levels because we see this inside the church, too. I mean, the numbers don't seem to be a whole lot different uh, from inside the church or outside the church, but especially with regard to Generation Z and the lack of, well, not only lack of uh, kind of biblical values, but also the fact that they're they're kind of giving up. I mean, this is a, the greatest land of opportunity in the history of the world. And a lot of younger people in what we call Generation Z, um, are, they're, they're not buying homes. They're not buying cars. They're not investing in the future. They're just living as large as they can today because they don't think there's any tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, in many ways, I think those who know and love the Lord and who read the Bible shouldn't be totally surprised because in the last days, things are going to intensify and become worse. I'm thinking of 2 Timothy 3.13, where it says evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And it's interesting. I mean, there's a nuance to what you said, Roger, uh, you know, because even in the church, this is happening. Well, uh, then you could also say, and of course, I can't make I can't make this conclusive statement. I'm just raising the question. It, you, certainly there's stuff going on in the church, too, where people are reading their Bible less, they're attending church less often, they're sharing their faith uh, less frequently, and you're saying, well, what is happening? And How come the church has become so secularized in so many different ways? Well, bottom line is some people who attend church don't really know the Lord. I mean, right. uh, just, right. just church attendance doesn't mean anything. So um, I, I don't think that what we're seeing should be all that surprising. Distressing, definitely. And for those of us that have grown up and been around you know, the planet for a number of decades, uh, it's sad because this is not the world that we grew up in. You know, 30, 40 years ago and beyond, uh, we live on a different planet right now. And it ought to be distressing to anybody who's really paying attention. It certainly is. And Lisa and I were watching a video. She loves those TikTok little quick hit videos or Instagram things. And it was a, it was a dash cam uh, video from police officers in Jupiter, Florida, Jupiter, mm. Florida. Mm. And they were, a woman was causing a disturbance at a restaurant. And these three women, you know, Anglo mid to upper fifties, just having a day out. They didn't like one of the other patrons there, or maybe it was one of the, the wait help. They thought they were gossiping about them. So this woman was very irritated. And she took kind of an entitled approach, went up to the manager and started complaining. And the manager said, look, I mean, this 
it's it's not harming anybody else. The only disruption really is you. So if you don't be quiet, we're going to ask you to leave because we reserve the right to whatever. Ten minutes later on this video, she's in handcuffs in the back of a police car because she wouldn't leave because she oh, was no. belligerent when the police were called. She started pushing people around. And then her friends are all, can you just let this go? Come on. I mean, we, we just, they, they were interrupting our lunch. It's wow. like with complete lack of self-awareness to the fact that they were now disrupting everything for the entire diner brought everything out onto the street. And I thought, wow, where where have the virtues gone? The people, John, that you would expect, you know, mm -hmm. of a certain age to right. act at a certain decorum. How did it not translate, do you think, from our that, generation? You know, it's a great question. We, we, we were, it's funny, it's funny, Roger, that, you know, when you sent this out, you know, yesterday for us to talk about today, I'm thinking these are some of the same conversations that my wife and I had on, on vacation. So literally, you know, for me, it's downtime and you know you don't do a lot work-wise right try not to but yet there's certain things like this that come up where you know you're just sitting and you know whether you're just hanging out by the pool or you're having dinner or whatever these are the sorts of conversations that come up and it's funny we had this exact same mm. conversation as to you know the old saying you know john maxwell was really big on this and, and i learned a lot from him over the years met him in person several times went to a lot of his seminars and stuff but he had an old saying that was you know you always have to pay so you can either play on the front side and pay on the back side or pay on the front side and play on the back side. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we now have a society where everybody wants to play on the front side, forgetting you ever have to pay. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, John. It's a, it's a great wisdom from Maxwell. And I think about the relationships that we have here on the bottom, uh, the National Cropper Roundtable with uh, Neil Boron Live with Rush to Reason uh, Bottom Line and the, the different conversations that we do have with regard to these very issues, because I know our partnership with Preborn is like that. I mean, yeah. in terms of, it's yes. amazing how many people, when you talk about, you know, abortion rights and this, that, and the other thing, they'll get all twisted up in a knot. But then when it comes to actually, you know, showing a picture of an ultrasound, I mean, but right now, uh, my, it's, it's kind of ironic for me to be having this conversation with y'all because um, my daughter, Emily, is uh, of, you know, she's 36. I, 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 I was brought up at a time where you didn't, give a woman's age, but you know, just my daughter now she's an adult, but she's expecting her second child. And I remember uh, her finding out, you know, she was pregnant seven years ago with her first. And then here we are again with the second, you see that ultrasound image. And all of a sudden you begin to realize, Hey, wait, this is a human being. You know, we're, we're, we're tracking baby boys progress. She's due March the 12th. And we've, we're seeing the pictures. We get the texts every couple of weeks. And, and it's amazing how many people, when they go to a preborn clinic and they see those ultrasound images, they're shocked. The left will tell you they're going to be shocked because it's horrifying because it's too traumatic. But those of us on the conservative side understand, well, the reason that it's not as traumatic for us is because we understand this is a baby. And your donation to Preborn makes that possible. When you go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, click the banner. We had a flurry of activity last week because we had that special dollar-for-dollar uh, dollar match in place, and every gift was doubled up through December 31st. Thank you to everyone. We had another dozen or so uh, National Crawford Roundtable listeners who went online and and made that donation. Some some We had a couple of $5 donations, had a couple of $2,000 donations. It was all across the board. But thank you for for taking that stand for life because Neil, I know that your, your wife Mary is involved in this, uh, th this industry as well, and we're all passionate about it. But that's one of the classic examples of us bringing the uh, biblical virtue to life and not to condemn people or hit them over the head with it, but just to say, look, the reality is God creates life in the womb, and this is what the baby looks like in gestational growth. It's not a political issue. It's not a clump of tissues. This is a human being we're talking about here. Yeah, and look at the pushback you can get if you try to show those pictures to the wrong people at the wrong time. What I mean is, mm -hmm. um, 
you really, I mean, what you refer to there when you're talking about ultrasound, you, it's the revelation of life in the womb. And it's science. Bottom line, it's science. It's biological development. And what you're looking at is, is biblical truth as well. This is life created by God. It's to be honored. It's to be cherished. And yet we live in a society that says, hey, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be accountable to anybody. I don't want to know what's going on inside the womb. Or even if I do, I don't want to talk about it because I want to be able to terminate a pregnancy uh, on my own terms if I feel like it at any time for any reason. And, you know, it's another example of the changing values of our culture and the idea that, you know, some of this stuff would have been unthinkable 100 years ago. Um, today, it's mainstream. And if, if you dare to try to say that, that this is a human life we're talking about, you can get yourself in hot water pretty quick. Yeah. It's interesting how the the left is starting to come around to what we would call biblical or, or conservative values. And uh, John, I know you're, a, as a businessman, you're a big proponent of, you know, budgeting well, investing well. And yes. the United States government has done a miserable job of this. Um, yeah. I was surprised yesterday in the New York Times that David Leonhardt and his team put together a very, very comprehensive uh, read on different events of the day. And the headline really got me. It's like, all of a sudden now progressives are concerned about the national debt. Wow. And wow. I thought, wait a minute, this is the I mean, the quantitative easing people who just print money and throw it out there like it's yep. no big deal. All of a sudden, they're, Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize winning economist who 10 years ago said, you can't go into debt enough to make yeah, these you programs can't print work. enough, exactly. exactly. Yeah, now, now it's, it's working back. Uh, th this is a golden opportunity, I would think, for us on the conservative side. Agreed. So we could do one of two things. We could either dunk and say, Dan, I told you so, or we could come alongside and show the more excellent way. How, how are you handling those conversations with the more progressive people in your world? Well, and really quick, I want to, you know, just chime in on Wilson Financial, which I know typically, Roger, oh, yeah. you do, but because we're, you know, minus Bob today, let me just throw this in while we've got a chance here, because it dovetails right into what you just talked about. If you're don't if you don't have a plan or somebody that really understands what's going on in the world and really, uh, guys, from a biblical worldview perspective, because to me, you know, that matters when it comes to your money and investing and where is it going and who's, no one's got a crystal ball, but you look at people that have vast experience in this, they look at trends, they know what certain things, you know, happen inside of our world. And, and, you know, guys, I don't think we've ever talked about this. I also don't want somebody that's a doomsdayer. In other words, I don't want somebody that just says, you know what, we're just going to go buy gold and silver and that's it. Because frankly, I don't believe in doing that. I want somebody that is well-rounded, that can look at this thing from a biblical perspective, knowing, like Neil says, that yes, the end is coming. But guys, it's not here right now. And you still have right. to be solid and fiduciary with your money and do what's needed to be a good steward of it. That's where Wilson, Wilson Financial comes in. Roger, I know you know him yeah. directly. I've never met him. I would love to at some point in time. I know he thinks very much the same way I do on things. Amen. And folks, that alone should tell you, get somebody that's on your side when it comes to your financial future. We have that here on the roundtable with Wilson Financial. You can find him at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. But And guys, really quick, this goes back to the whole, are you going to pay on the front side and play on the back side? Play on the front side, pay on the back side. The same is true with your money, guys. And we don't teach that enough. You know, the reason why, this is my own belief. We changed our school system around years ago. We let it get infiltrated with the communist left, literally. In turn, 
People today don't even know math. They can't balance a checkbook. And frankly, they don't even know what a trillion dollars is. It's why we as a country can be 34 now trillion dollars in debt with nobody really questioning. Finally now, maybe, Roger, to your point a moment ago, some folks are starting to question that. But the reality is when you don't know math, you as a country can be $34 trillion in debt. That's our problem. And Neil, the, the church is complicit in this, I think, in many regards. You know, we would like to say, well, we're not because it's those politicians on Capitol Hill that make those decisions. But we are the ones in terms of, you know, just kind of going with the flow sometimes. I mean, I, I don't hear, is this something when you're in the pulpit that you are saying, we need really need to do a, we, we always do the stewardship talk every year, you know, on sun, that one Sunday, usually around Thanksgiving, but should we be doing more of this in terms of living financially responsibly and, 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 and holding our government officials accountable when they don't? Yes, but I also think it begins in the home. I think it starts earlier than that. I, you know, I, you take this back to like what's referred to as the greatest generation and how people lived coming out of really, honestly, uh, the Great Depression leading into World War II and that whole time period in, in America. Uh, I can speak for our nation, at least, you know, the, the idea of personal responsibility, that we have uh, a stewardship responsibility to our families and to our country, and people began to view things that way. But afterwards, you know, after World War II, people began to say, well, how can I make, life's been hard, man, how can I make it easier for my kids? Right. And so, you know, I'm part of the baby boom generation, I guess you guys are as well, right? So, you know, we, we kind of had it a little easier than our parents did, and then we wanted to make it easier on our kids who make it easier on their kids. And all of a sudden you've got this watered down effect where, and it leads into what you were talking about regarding micro. We may get into that more in the, in, in the future here uh, in our conversation, but um, a, a cheapening of values where we're saying, Hey, look, this isn't my responsibility. Somebody else will take care of me. And I don't really need to be concerned about this. And I think honestly, um, some of the preaching really doesn't need to just be about fiscal responsibility for our nation, but how we raise our kids and, you know, what kind of values we hold dear and what the Bible says about the importance of work. I, my Bible says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And I right. think that has to be part of the equation. That's part of the truth. We need to be teaching kids in our home and in our Sunday school and in youth group, et cetera. Talking about virtues and the decline thereof here in the United States here on today's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, along with John Rush and Neil Boron. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, Bob Duco is uh, ailing and will be back with us next week. But as we talk about these virtues, these things that are that much better, you know, it, I, I would I would love to be able to say that what happened with my three kids when I was coming up with Lisa's three kids, you know, before we blended our families, that we made all the right decisions and we were good Christian homes and we modeled that. The, the reality was trying to raise a family on Christian radio wages was not easy. And <laughs> fiscal responsibility <laughs> by my kids was learned at an early age. They said, basically, there's nothing. There's nothing here. There's no money for college. There's no, I will be your biggest fan. I'll be your biggest support. And I used to feel terrible about that until mm -hmm. the day when my oldest, who's celebrating her birthday today, Emily, uh, was down at the beach uh, with some friends. She had a car that she had purchased. I went with her shopping for it, but she made the down payment. She signed the, the contract. She did all of that. And she called me. She said, hey, Dad, um, I just wanted to let you know that I got towed. I said, what happened? She goes, well, there's all these places where they set these kind of booby traps for cars to make you think you can park along the coastline, but you really can't. Okay, that's fine. So I'm at the tow yard right now. And I said, okay, do you need anything? She said, no, I just want to let you know we'll be home a little bit later. And then they came home and she and her sister were a couple of friends and she came in, she had this big smile on her face. And I said, what, 
you know, are you okay? I mean, you just got your, your car towed. How much does <laughs> the lot charge? It's $200. I said, are you sure you're okay? And she said, yeah, you know why? Because I was the only one in there who wasn't on the phone with her dad crying, saying, dad, you got to come down and bail me out because this isn't my car. Wow. Everybody else had cars where <laughs> mom and dad it. bought the car and their name was on the title. And she was, the lesson she took away from that was, hey, I worked hard for this and this is my card. Yeah, I made a stupid mistake and I'll pay for it. But by golly, it was my mistake and I paid for it. Wow. And I thought, wow, I wonder how many young people. And I was like, that's right. Thank you, God. I'm such a great. No, I'm not a great guy. I mean, <laughs> you just have to laugh. Yeah, and wouldn't say, go hey, that far, Roger. I wouldn't give one. But, but still, you, yeah. you, you see the idea. How many of us, I mean, we've had these collective experiences with our kids, but how many younger people are getting those experiences anymore? Yeah. I mean, how do you learn the value of hard work? Like Micro says, it's not a virtue anymore for young people, John. Yeah, well, to your point, they're not. And, and guys, this is a deep discussion, and I'm glad you brought it up, Roger, to kind of start the year off because I think it's a reminder to all of us, whether you've got kids, grandkids, how do you teach them some of these virtues? I mean, we're talking on the financial end of things, which I know some are saying, well, guys, why are, you, why are you so focused on the financial thing? You know, God says he'll just take care of us. Well, God also gives you a brain, two arms, two feet. You're supposed to use those things. You're supposed to be a good steward. He talks Amen. about money in the Bible, frankly, more than anything else. So I think it's very important to him as to how we handle this end of our lives, because I look at money, and maybe I'm wrong in this, guys, but I look at money simply as a tool. It's a tool to do all sorts of things with. We can live our lives. We can help others live their lives. We can, you know, divvy it up, you know, correctly, like with Wilson Financial. We can also help organizations like Preborn, the church. Amen. I mean, you can't, I've always said, it's like the oxygen mask dropping down from the airplane. If we're not financially sound and you don't have that mask on yourself, how can you help anyone else? If you're always dependent on everyone else to meet your needs, how can you help meet anybody else's needs? And frankly, I don't think that's how God wants us to live. He wants us to be helping others, not everybody else helping us. Am I wrong, guys? No, you're 100 percent right. You get, you get two thumbs up with both of us, and Neil. That this, I love what you said earlier. Circle back around for as we kind of bring this half of the podcast to a close about how this begins with the church. It begins at home. It begins with the church being very practical and being being very intentional about it. Yeah, and you know, I you quoted or mentioned Mike Rowe earlier, and, you know, we all love him from his show Dirty Jobs and some of the other things he's done, including the one you referenced. But, uh, you know, he says if you come out in favor of work ethic these days, then all of a sudden you're labeled. You're de, de facto on side of the greedy, rapacious uh, capitalists who are merely trying to exploit the worker. Wait a second. First of all, it's nonsense. But secondarily, we don't answer to other people. We answer to the Lord. And as far Amen. as, you know, teaching this next generation, including our own kids and our families, work ethic, it needs to be done. Delayed gratification, mm -hmm. personal responsibility, and having a decent attitude about work, those were virtues and they still should be virtues. And we don't need to back down. The rest of the world may be moving that way, but that's not our responsibility. Amen. Amen. And when I think about uh, what Mike has been talking about, what each of us have been discussing here on the podcast, uh, also, I'm just very mindful of the fact that when it comes to those types of virtues that we're working hard for, a lot of times what is being taught in the academic world is what actually kind of winds up shaping and molding the uh, the 
hearts and minds of our youth and our young adults here in this culture. And on the uh, the second half of the podcast, we want to get into Claudine Gay. We get into the the plagiarism issue and the fact that she was forced to resign yesterday, even though she's going to keep her nine hundred thousand dollars salary. I guess that's a nice little golden parachute for uh, stealing a lot of her uh, doctoral thesis from Dr. Carol Swain's book that came out about a year or so earlier. But we'll get into that whole plagiarism issue and and the integrity of you know well. What, what does it matter? You know, if you're if you're being taught something that it was fraudulently uh, obtained, does it really matter? As long as you get the information, it's a good conversation about virtues. Uh, the National Crawford Roundtable, of course, is made possible by our sponsorship from Wilson Financial and also from Preborn. And I just want to thank again everybody who took the time last week in particular. It was the final week of our big push, our big campaign to make it possible for women to go to a, a pregnancy resource center and have an ultrasound done of their preborn baby to find out where they are, get that pregnancy test done. Of course, this is all provided without cost. It costs about $28 to provide the services that preborn does provide. And a $28 donation, here's what statistically is going to happen. A woman's going to see the ultrasound and she's going to choose door number one, which is your mother. Congratulations. You're going to welcome that child home in a few months. Door number two, you can release that child for adoption to one of the thousands of couples in the country who across the board are ready to adopt that baby and provide a good home life for that child. Or third, I mean, in half the states in America, abortion is still legal and that's still an option. But 85% of the time, a woman goes to a preborn clinic and she looks at the ultrasound and finds out what her options are, she chooses life for that preborn child. And your donation makes that possible. It's $28 to provide one ultrasound appointment. So basically $28 saves one life, $140 saves five, 280 saves 10. And you can go to crawfordmediagroup.net, click on the preborn banner right now and make a donation. It's really easy to do. Ultrasound machines are also needed for preborn clinics all across the country. They're constantly opening new ones and partnering with new organizations. And it's $15,000 for a donation for one preborn ultrasound machine. You can make that tax deductible donation right now online. If you've got a business and you'd like to make a donation for the write off there, highly recommend that. We know a lot of our listeners and viewers uh, have the opportunity financially. They've been blessed and you've got the opportunity to, to make that uh, significant contribution as well. So go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. That's CrawfordMediaGroup.net and make your best donation to uh, Preborn today. We had literally hundreds of thousands of dollars donated through National Crawford Roundtable and our respective programs throughout the course of 2023. And I have a feeling that 2024 is going to be even better when people discover that every dollar that you donate to preborn goes directly to the funding of ultrasounds. They've got separate fundraising they do for overhead. And uh, that is just one way that you can be a good steward with your money and show the value of hard work. You work hard for your money. You make a donation to support preborn. You wind up saving lives. Uh, remember, of course, that as you are watching the National Crawford Roundtable podcast online, as well as listening to it, of course, you hear it on Crawford stations and Apple podcasts, Stitcher, your tune in, et cetera. But you can also watch the National Crawford Roundtable Roundtable podcast at myhopenow.com. Uh, that's myhopenow.com uh, or wherever you follow your social media. The second half of the National Crawford Roundtable is coming up next. This has been a Crawford Media Group production. Continuing with the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, who 
host of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Uh, John Rush uh, from Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. I'm Roger Marsh, host of The Bottom Line Show from the People's Republic of California and uh, the venerable Bob Duco. The Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. Bob is on the disabled list this week, so we will welcome him back. And as we were mentioning earlier in the broadcast, uh, Bob probably did a little too much celebrating after the Lions. Uh, well, they had a, that tough we uh, came against Dallas over the weekend, but with with Michigan, you know, heading to the national championship game. Sure. I mean that, and, and I, I re, guys, I remember 1970. We just moved to Orange County, and my dad was able to get tickets to the Rose Bowl. We went to see USC beat Michigan 10 to three. Arguably, it was the most uninteresting Rose Bowl in the history of college football, but it was kind of a thrill to go and be there too. Do you guys have fond New Year's memories of a big, you know, kind of event, something like that happening in your world? Neil, you're a football guy. So uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. I that. think the greatest moment in college football history was Doug Flutie of Boston College. Oh, ball yeah. Gerald Phelan. I, you know, mm -hmm. here's this little, he's like five foot 10. He's the yeah. underdog of all underdogs. And he threw that ball. Like if you, if you really look at the video, it's like it landed two yards deep in the end. zone. it was something like a 67 yard throw for mm -hmm. uh to beat i think it was university of miami on uh mm -hmm. and, and i think it was the orange bowl i can't remember exactly but doug flutie's throw had to be the greatest moment in college football history and it was a new year's day event so i just i love it john do you have a college football uh, favorite Actually, memory I, I do not unfortunately as you guys know and maybe that will change now with a coach we've got at the university of colorado that might change in the future but you know we've only had one ever national championship and it was not the way it is now in fact it was a one of those years where it was sort of a uh, who was the national champion there was some debate over who actually should be uh so no actually i hate to say i really don't have any fun you know, you know went down to the uh, to the bowl down in arizona one year had a lot of fun took the kids we had a blast doing that but it wasn't any kind of a championship but we had a lot of fun doing it so that is one of the new year's memories i have roger i'm wondering if bob maybe isn't on the dl maybe he's in the transfer portal and he's going oh, to there you go. colorado to play <laughs> for the Deion transfer Sanders. portal of hosts is where he is <laughs> right right he's gonna wind up with john will come into the klc studios one day and go hey what's bob doing here yeah bob <laughs> took over my show there you go exactly. <laughs> well that's okay because that will, that will leave an opening at wme so we'll all be flocking to that. Um, I was thinking about the collegiate stuff as we've been seeing what's been happening over the past month or so with the college presidents that have been under the spotlight. And mm -hmm. it's been very interesting to watch progressives really, I, I don't like to use this term too often, but really squirm to see, you know, with, with Claudine Gay at Harvard University who resigned yesterday. Over, and of course, we're recording this today on Wednesday, January 3rd, uh, resigned uh, in disgrace over some plagiarism charges, but she made some anti-Semitic statements and and the president of uh, at Stanford and, and University of Pennsylvania also doing this as well. And as we're talking about virtue, though, it's very interesting to me to see these schools kind of have to self-govern. And we've talked about this before. John, I think a couple of weeks ago, we were discussing whether or not we thought Claudine Gay would resign and mm -hmm. talking about the the, the, the financial, you know, the, the right. board of directors and right. who's going to do that. That was an issue, but it wasn't ultimately the issue here too. As we're talking about virtue and you realize that it's worth us camping out for a little while on this because these are issues, uh, these institutions of higher education, they are seen as the gold standard of learning and knowledge and research. And to have these presidents just resigning because of things that any other undergrad would get kicked out of school for, plagiarism, uh, but the, it hasn't 
impacted them at that point. Do you see this as an encouraging sign or is it a dark day in American education? How, what's your take on this? No, it's a, these are encouraging signs. I mean, we need accountability in every level of everything that goes on. And if there's anything that, again, talking about virtue that we've lost in this country is accountability for things that you do. It's one of those other things that we're just not teaching. Kind of goes back to your story, Roger, of your daughter and the car and the impound and all of that. I mean, where, mm -hmm. where is the accountability left in today's society? And we've got leaders that can just run around and pretty much do whatever they want to. In this case, you know, plagiarize and, and take information from someone else and use it as your own, which is theft, by the way. That's what plagiarism really is. You're stealing somebody else's work. Let's call it what it is. This is out and out theft. And yet Harvard changed the rules or the definitions for what theft actually means. We can't do that. We have to hold these folks to a higher standard. And guys, we're not doing that. We continue to bend the rules or move the goalpost, if you would, to make things easier so no one's accountable any longer. We can't do that. Yeah, that, that, that's that's really key because I, I, it's easy for us to say, well, these Ivy League schools and, you know, they're all full of themselves and whatever. And so it's about time. I mean, we, we, there, there's such a, a, a dearth of conservatism on these campuses that it's nice to see something like this happen. But, Neil, we've seen this happen in Christian universities, too. I mean, uh, one of the largest is actually being investigated by the Federal Trade Commission right now, uh, Grand Canyon University. I mean, it's it's it really it, judgment begins with the house of God, does it not? No doubt. And John's 100% right. We we should be accountable at all levels. I mean, nobody should be able to skirt the issues. And by the way, you know, in many ways, Claudine Gay, as president of Harvard, was allowed to skirt the issues when, you know, the governing board there, I forget what they call it, the Harvard Corporation or something, you know, really kind of turned a blind eye to the fact that she had plagiarized and said, oh, well, you know, there was some duplicative language. I forget what the word they used. Um in some in her documents and in her PhD dissertation, the whole thing, and that you know we should kind of just overlook that and everything will be fine. Well, continued pressure, eventually you know brought all this down, and she on her own resigned. But it's interesting because one of the more uh, disturbing things I think that I saw in all of this was that she, in some ways, turned it around and became the victim. And right. I would add a selfish victim. I don't know if you saw her quote, but she said it's been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor. <laughs> Wait a second, you're a plagiarist. <laughs> and frightening. She said it was frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. Now, all of a sudden, this is all everyone else's fault. Because you're a racist, I have to step down. I, I, don't, I don't get where she's coming from on that. And I think she absolutely needed to go. Uh, I just was saddened by that whole thing. Just, you know what, just take responsibility and leave. Right. Uh, the idea, by the way, that she stayed on staff, and I had no idea she was making $900,000. I mean, uh, I think people should should be able to get what they're worth. I'm not sure Shohei Otani is worth $750 million, But either way, um, just saying, like, I didn't know that professors at a place like Harvard could make $900,000 for ju now just teaching classes and, you know, mm -hmm. Wow, do we have any idea why college educations cost so much these days? That's incredible. And obviously, not everyone makes that kind of money, but very disturbing to see how this whole thing played out. Just happy that she officially was made to move along because it does say something about the importance of standards that, that, that they actually should apply to real people. And I want to throw something else in there. I talked about this yesterday uh, with one of my listeners, guys. I mean, the whole situation with these professors and what, let's get down to the crux of it. This There is a new, uh, maybe a renewed is the best way to say it, vitriol 
for Israel and the Jews. In fact, I, I really didn't think in my lifetime, after World War II and all of what I've seen, I've been to several different Holocaust museums, including the one in Israel, and you look at all of that and you think to yourself, you know, there's just no way this could ever happen again. How could the hatred for one you know, group of individuals be so great, and yet, in my lifetime, we're now seeing it again. I mean, where's the accountability openly. for these individuals? Openly, yes, thank you, Neil. Openly, where's the accountability for these individuals at these university, you know, heads to, to be on the side of the Jews and not against them? Guys, I never thought we'd live in a day and age where morally we're at a point where there is, I don't want to say a majority of people, but there's a large percentage of even Americans living here in the United States of America that are Jew haters. What have we gotten to in this country? You know, it's interesting as you were, Neil, you were sharing that quote, and John, I resonate with everything you're saying with regard to, you know, the Jewish population here in the States and, you know, worldwide. Uh, but when you were talking about Claudine Gay's uh, statement with regard to, uh, you know, how this has become, you know, racially motivated and this, that, and the other thing, I thought, no, wait a minute. You, you have to be able to look at this situation objectively for what it is. When she wrote her dissertation, The Effect of Minority Districts and Minority Representation on Political Participation in California, and was doing her research. And again, let's face it, PhD research books aren't necessarily, you know, for public consumption. They're meant to be read by, you know, uh, the, the, their peers and, and scholars and the like. The fact that she is making this a racial issue, did she not pay attention to the fact that the woman that she ripped off the most is Dr. Carol Swain, who, by the way, happens to also be African-American. I mean, the idea that there's, there's Carol Swain going out and saying, look, she stole my stuff. Okay, you know, and and the, the difference between what she did and didn't do. Apparently, in 1997, 1998, I think she published this thing in 2001. You know, the internet wasn't as big a deal. You know, some of our kids might have been turning in their things on Turnitin.com to check for plagiarism and that type of thing. But the fact that she did not even think about this as anything other than a racial issue, and she feels attacked and this, that, and the other thing, is a pretty good indication that she's not dealing with reality. And that's something that we see in the sanctity of life world all the time. Our friends are preborn, help us understand this all the time. Who would have ever thought, you know, when we've all got, gotten ultrasounds of, you know, one of our kids is expecting and we're exciting, you know, is this pregnancy gonna go well? There's all that anticipation. None of us ever questions the fact that what we're looking at is a picture of one of our grandchildren. And yet on the left, there are so many people who really honestly don't have any concept of the fact that a conceived child in the womb is actually a human being. And preborn doing what they do with ultrasound technology makes it possible to dispel the myths, to, to get rid of the lies and the rumors and the innuendo. Your $28 donation to preborn makes that possible. And you can give a gift online at crawfordmediagroup.net. They are one of the sponsors of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And uh, if you make a $28 donation, basically $28 will save a life. Uh, $280 will save 10. And if you are blessed and God has given you the opportunity to make a donation of $15,000, that's the cost of one ultrasound machine that could do 250 ultrasounds per year for at least 10 years. So, I mean, the, the, now the cost per ultrasound goes down dramatically. Uh, go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net or call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. The bulk of the uh, contributions that come in, come in online. And the online world, guys, is where we are living these days. And more and more people are, are they're, they're getting their virtues, if you will, from the online world. Uh, and I'll put this up to both of you. What do you think the, the these departures, President of the University of Pennsylvania, Stanford, Harvard, all having to resign in the last year, all because of either anti-Semitism or plagiarism, 
What does that do to the university system and maybe America's blind allegiance to that part of academia as a source of education and information? Well, let me just jump in and say one can only hope that it brings some of these institutions back towards the middle. I don't think it's ever going to swing these things back to where they began. As a matter of fact, let me throw in for a second that John Harvard was a Cambridge-educated English minister who immigrated to New England. Um, so he had a ministerial background. And then Harvard College, first mention of it was in a book in 19, uh, sorry, 1643 uh, called New England's First Fruits, but they mentioned Harvard College there, founded by Puritan colonists and can anybody, does anybody know what Harvard's original motto was? Are you are you ready for this? Does anybody know? I don't. Uh, okay, hmm. it was. Here's the original motto of Harvard: "Truth for Christ and the Church." Hmm. Wow! What? What <laughs> are you? Oh my God! Harvard. Oh my Harvard. God. Okay, so you know later uh, because it was secularizing as a university, they founded a divinity school to try to keep you know religion on campus, et cetera. But boy, talk about cultural and you know spiritual slide. Um, I don't know. I just I my hope is that some of these major universities will have to take a good look, an honest look at where they where they've been headed, what all of this has led to. I mean, anti-Semitism openly embraced on the campus and presidents who are unwilling to denounce it. It ought to cost you your job. And let's just pray that it brings back some sanity. But I don't think they're ever going to see a swing completely in the other direction for all the reasons we mentioned on the first half of the podcast. John, I know you're not a huge fan of a college education. Nope. You've got more of a micro, you know, academic world, you know, get, get some practical training and go out and get a real job. But this does, I mean, I think it's a bellwether moment for us in the church to who, because there are a lot, let's face it, we all know Christians who have, you know, kids who went to an Ivy League school and got a degree there and they kind of, you could, you could sense there's a little bit of a, a strut, you know, goes along with it. My mm -hmm. kid went to sure. Harvard, my kid went sure. to Yale. My brother graduated from Princeton. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm right in there. But this is an opportunity now for us to start, I think, maybe not mending anything like Neil said, right? we're not bringing everything back to the middle, but how can we use this opportunity to do something other than saying, see, progressives are all a bunch of liars, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, that's the easy low-hanging fruit. We could see that. How, how can we do, show a more excellent way in the culture using biblical That's a great values? question. No, it really, I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday on the program as far as the messaging that we as conservatives put out and the fact that I feel like in 2024, in fact, here in a couple of weeks, may actually, we may actually get into that here on the roundtable and the fact that you know, I think some of the things we've messaged on in the past, we're going to have to be careful of what we do here in 2024. To your point, Roger, right. yeah, you can you can state the obvious, but I hate to say this, the, the guy in the middle, the, the, you know, the folks in the middle that maybe haven't even paid much attention to what we're talking about today that doesn't resonate with them. You've got to tell them the alternative to what's going on in the Ivy League schools. You, know, you go back to, I guess, my side of the aisle, which is, you know, go learn a trade, go figure out how to start your own business. And I realize that's not for everybody, but there's a lot of folks out there that that would apply to. And at the end of the day, you can do far more and even help out others, like I talked about earlier, help out far more than what you would normally do having one of those Ivy League degrees and not have the mounting debt that goes along with it. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's interesting. And I think that, uh, uh, Niels, we were talking earlier about the Mike Rowe piece and the fact that Mike gets it and a lot of people get it. And there are a lot of very successful folks who have not used that. 
I've benefited from my college education, though I think between the three of the three of us here, uh, Neil's the advanced degree guy. Is that correct, Neil? I mean, you're are we doctor born uh, yet, or is it- no? I have a master's degree. Is the highest uh-huh. level I went to, and and you know, honestly, and I've said this before, I'm pretty sure that I haven't used much of anything I learned undergrad or from my graduate degree in the workplace. It really amounted to personal experience. And I think most people that are involved in radio know how valuable personal experience really is. It's a job that you learn on the job for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were certain things related to, you know, the management of radio stations and the governance of the FCC and stuff that I might not have known about otherwise, but I haven't had to personally use that in the job that I do here. But, you know, you had mentioned earlier, and Roger, I really appreciate you bringing it up because it's really easy to just go after long, you know, low-hanging fruit and make wild claims about the problems that we see in the world and the other, you know, all the people around us who are doing all of the wrong things. But to come back to this, you know, famous uh, passage in Scripture where Jesus is saying, hey, look at why you worried about the log in somebody else's eye, I'm sorry, the, the speck in someone else's eye when you've got a log in your own. All we can really do is examine our own hearts. And, right. you know, I, I think honestly that not much may change on college campuses, but it certainly alerted us to an understanding of what's going on in the world. And if we want to see a world that includes more integrity and stuff, we have to model it. It has to be in our homes and in our churches. And I'm just going to bring it up uh, because it's on my mind as we talk about this. If somebody were to point a finger at churches and say, hey, how, how's, how are churches doing these days? Well, you had the Catholic, you know, the revelation in the Catholic Church of the abuse of clergy and stuff. And then same thing really in the Protestant churches that evangelical Christians haven't been immune to all this. And then the bigger scandals of the cover-ups that followed and the effort to keep this stuff quiet. Listen, we have to walk in integrity. We have to deal with these things in the church the same way that people would deal with stuff on a college university campus and stand for truth and integrity, model what it means to do the right thing. And if, if it's necessary to expose something, bring it to the light and remove people in positions of power because they've, you know, they've used their power to harm others, then, then let's just do that and trust that God can, can handle the fallout. He's big enough. And, and mm-hmm. I would believe that he would desire that of us rather than just, and I'm not impugning us here for having this conversation about like, you know, uh, Ivy League schools and the presidents and, and what they've done, but I think we need to ask the similar things about what's going on inside the church because all those people in the middle who don't really think about this stuff much one day are going to come to a point of saying, well, what what does truth actually look like? Where is it being modeled? Where can I find truth? What's real? What matters? And and what should I be believing in these days? And Lord willing, they're going to see truth in the church. As ugly as it is, God's grace is sufficient to help us with our sin and to help us live righteously, and we need him desperately. Yeah, we absolutely do. And this is really, John... A time to put our money where our mouth yes, is, is. <laughs> where our yes. faith is or whatever. And I yes. know that's one of the reasons why Dennis Wilson is such a key integral part of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And I know he's impacted you as well. Well, you know, again, it goes back to the things we talk about. If you're not financially healthy, you can't help out anyone. You can't help out your own family. And guys, I can't tell you how many different conversations I have. And frankly, some of why certain business owners will you know, hire me in the first place is to help them get out of some of the situations that they're in. And, and by the way, it's not something financially speaking, you know, financial soundness. We're not teaching like we once would. I mean, you know, folks like Dave Ramsey wouldn't be as big as he is today if the church and others were teaching financial wherewithal Amen. like they should be. So given that fact, and given that not everyone is an expert, and like I said earlier, no one has a crystal ball to know what's going to happen next when it comes to the economy, the markets, and so on. You need somebody that doesn't have a crystal ball, 
but has a really great outlook on things ahead along with what's happened in the past. Again, there are trends. You can look at different things, and that's the kind of stuff that I know, uh, you know, Wilson Financial, Dennis Wilson, and again, Roger, you know him directly. Those are the things that he does. He thinks like we do, and I've always said, do you want to partner with someone with your money that thinks like you, or do you want to partner with somebody with your money that doesn't think like you? I'd rather do it with somebody that thinks like me. That's Wilson Financial. Find him at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that Dennis likes to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, retirement and things like that is he says a lot of people don't realize that when they make uh, their estate plan, they've got a will or a trust or whatever it is, that there's another uninvited relative who attaches themselves that's right. to your, that's, right. that's Uncle Sam, right? And that's right. And it's so important for us to make sure that we give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, pay our taxes, but also give to God the things that are God's. And as we've got the about five minutes left in our conversation here, just some closing thoughts, I mean, some, some st- sending thoughts, if you will, for those of us who are now saying, okay, well, we see what's going on here. And as we've been kind of getting hit with the waves uh, on the beaches up and down the West Coast and seeing really high tides and things like that, and and sometimes you look at the destruction that those things do, but once they're done and you're past that and you realize, okay, well, there's certain things you could do to prevent against something like that happening, but once it's happened, then you kind of have to go into cleanup mode. And I think culturally, we could take a look at society on the whole right now and say, the wave of secularism has washed away for most people, not all people, but for most people in the United States, a sense of biblical values, you know, when it comes to virtue and things of that nature. Um, Neil, take a couple of moments here at the end of our broadcast and and kind of give us some hope that we who are still standing and on firm on that foundation of uh, biblical truth uh, can be an encouragement and let our light so shine before others that they would see our good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Yeah, amen. And, you know, all of that is possible because of Christ, not because of us and, and our hope and our focus needs to be on him. You know, I, I was having a conversation on air yesterday and it, the issue of this Christian music festival came up. It wasn't something we talked about extensively, but it's a, it's something that's happened for 35 years in the Western New York area. But I still run into people in the Christian community who haven't ever been there. And they say, you know, um, uh, boy, I really would love to go to Kingdom Bound sometime. I just haven't ever gotten there. Well, it's been around for 35 years. It may not be here forever. And, and at some point, you have to ask yourself, like, are they ever going to do this? And here we are in the new year, starting a brand new year. And um, and people have made promises about losing weight or, or have year after year after year after year made promises about losing weight or whatever. I've struggled with similar things in my own life. Um, and the bottom line at some point is you have to say, at what point are things going to change? At what point do we actually say something fundamentally needs to change about the world that I live in? Well, all I know is that it can begin in our lives, and the Lord is continually inviting us to come to Him, to find hope in Him. I, I had a conversation with Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly and his wife yesterday. And he, the whole family was in studio with us for a while. Mm. And, you know, Jim made a kind of off-the-cuff comment. And by the way, he's a believer. He was baptized this mm. last summer um, here in the Buffalo area. But, um, you know, and, and he's he's not a guy who speaks Christianese or anything like that, but he, he made an off-the-cuff comment about his wife, and he basically said, you know, uh, her answer to everything is Jesus. And I thought, how totally <laughs> profound is that, actually? It, because really, and I'm not trying to cop out, Jesus is the answer. And so as we head into this new year, our hope is going to be found in the one who has promised to deliver us, the one who says we'll be victorious in the end. And we need to try to encourage as many people as possible to also put their hope and trust in Christ, who um, who simply says, come to me. You know, And, I, and our, our forgiveness is available in him. Uh, the life change that we need, our hope for the future, all of it's found in him. 
And, um, and so no matter what's going on in the world, we don't need to despair because Christ is alive and well, and the answer to all of these things is Jesus. Amen and amen. And I'm so grateful for that fact and that reality that we can stand on and that we can live virtuous lives, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the grace that he has shown to us and uh, given us that opportunity to do so. Uh, Thank you to uh, everyone who has been participating in the program today, to Dennis Wilson, of course, Wilson Financial. Go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the banner to learn more about Dennis. And it's interesting, guys, just as we are wrapping up the program here, I just got an email from the people at Preborn. And we had two more donations to preborn uh, clinics just in the past hour that we've been Amen. recording this podcast. Amen. Total wow. of three hundred dollars, but that means another ten babies' lives are going to be saved. Twenty-eight dollars for an ultrasound appointment, and it's very, very easy to do. Uh, make that donation. You go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You click on the banner, and then you follow the prompts. And if you've got a credit card already loaded in on your computer, you can make handle the transaction in probably less than sixty seconds. But in sixty seconds, you can save a life. For a woman who's coming into a preborn clinic who hasn't seen the ultrasound of her baby yet and yet uh, wants to be able to uh, see that child and and know this is how far along she is in the pregnancy and this life has value and this life has meaning and is being born for such a time as this. Um, you can go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net or call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229-BABY. $28 saves one life, $280 saves 10, $15,000 provides an ultrasound machine uh, for one of our preborn clinics. And last year, uh, we were able to help uh, place a couple of dozen of those ultrasound machines, thanks to your uh, faithful financial support. Uh, by the way, you can watch video of this podcast at myhopenow.com and see all of our bright, shining faces here. Uh, you can follow that while well, some of the bright and shiny. That's the big I, benefit, Roger. That's yeah, the big exactly. <laughs> well, for John and me, it's early in the day, you know, Bob and yeah, Neil. Right. You know, they get the benefit of rest, but uh, we do our very best. Um, also, just want to thank everyone who participated today. John Rush, host of Rush to Reason, KLZ in Denver. Neil Boron, host of Neil Boron Live, WDCX in Buffalo, New York. And we are praying for a speedy recovery for Bob Duco to join us again next time. I'm Roger Marsh. And for all of us here, thank you so much for supporting this program and for listening today to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Guys, we'll see you again next week. Me too. Thanks, Roger. Roger, likewise. Appreciate you guys. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, a view of today's culture through a biblical lens, brought to you by Preborn, saving babies and souls. Join us in the fight to save babies from abortion. Your gift provides a free ultrasound for a mother in need. 80% of the time, she will choose life. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on their logo to donate. And Wilson Financial Advisors, Over 50 years of financial expertise and success, helping you build confidence in your financial future. Visit CrawfordMedia.net and click on their logo for more information. You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more from your local Crawford Media Group station or at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. And you can watch video of the podcast at MyHopeNow.com. Be sure to follow MyHopeNow wherever you follow social media. And please give this podcast a five-star rating on your Apple app. Look for the notification on your app for when the next weekly edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is ready for you to download. This is a Crawford Media Group production.